Welcome back to Startups for the Rest of Us. Today, I talk with one of the co-founders of Postaga about launching on Product Hunt, having a done-for-you service in addition to a DIY self-service SaaS app, growing to a team of six people, having a free plan, and doing a ton of customer development in the early days. Postaga is an outreach tool that helps you build links and get on podcasts and do do all types of things. It's a pretty interesting app. You should check it out, postaga.com. But before we dive into that, I want to let you know that MicroConf tickets are on sale. You should head to microconf.com. Assuming we haven't sold out by the time this goes live, we have five events in five weeks in September and early October, ranging in locations from Croatia to London to Boston, Portland, and Austin, Texas. And we're super excited. I'm super excited to get back to these events in person. Hope to connect with you if you make it out to one. Microconf.com to check that out. And with that, let's dive into my conversation with Andy Cabasso of Postaga. Andy, thanks so much for joining me today. Hey, thanks, Rob. Yeah, it's, it's great having you. So folks already heard in your intro a little bit about Postaga. I think one of the interesting, I mean, there's a lot of interesting parts to your story. So this is an easy story to tell. One of the interesting things is that you and your co-founder, Sam, you were roommates freshman year in college, then you wind up starting an agency and he had done freelance work in the past. And you started this agency really intelligently in the sense that you asked for recurring revenue, you asked for retainers, and it made it a sellable asset. And so you sold that in 2016, you stuck around for a few years, you know, with an earnout. But in essence, selling that agency gave you the kind of the revenue to live on as you guys started building Postaga in 2019. That's right. Yeah. So the kind of recurring model for our agency came about because my co-founder Sam was doing freelancing. And when we talked about working together and building an agency, one of the big challenges about growing an agency is the fact that for a lot of like web design projects, you do them as one-offs and there's no recurring revenue component to it, which means that every month you have to constantly look for new clients. And if you take a vacation, take a break, you might not have cash flow, you might not have more revenue coming in. And so Every client that we were taking on had to have a recurring revenue component to it for, at the very least, some support and hosting and maintenance or having a marketing service like paid search or SEO to it. So that allowed us, with every single client that we added to our book, that increased our recurring revenue. And so we could have a month, potentially, where we didn't make any sales and we'd still be able to pay our bills and pay ourselves and pay our team and help us grow. So that helped us also have a business that was worth something that we could sell in the end. Yeah, and that's that's one of the downsides of consulting usually because I ran a micro agency myself and I was a, both a freelancer and then I was a consultant and then I, you know, had some other contractors helping me and on the first of the month, you know, if I didn't have any projects, suddenly I had zero revenue. And that was also as I got into software and I built one-time sales software, same thing. It was like, "Hey, we made 5 or 10 grand this month and the next month your recurring revenue was zero in essence, so you had to start over." And that's actually a component of Postaga today. We'll dive into that a little later, but you have both the do-it-yourself self-service SaaS aspect of Postaga, and then you have the done-for-you aspect, which is in essence a productized service that you've bundled up pretty, you know, pretty ingeniously, I think. And so on your homepage, your H1 is Postaga, a better way to build links 
And then the H2, so to speak, is are you still doing manual outreach? Postaga's AI outreach assistant will change the way you build traffic to your site. And I remember the very first time I came across your site, it was when you you applied for Tiny Seed. I clicked through and I was trying to figure out what does this tool do? And you have a pretty cool, uh, you know, for folks who are trying to figure out how to explain a product that I think could go in a lot of different directions and explain something that's relatively complicated. Your features page is pretty well done. You break it down into just a handful of things. There's opportunity finders, a content analyzer, there's a contact finder, automatically personalized emails, outreach assistant. I mean, you kind of drop it in and each of them is a little animated GIF of you actually scrolling through the product. It shows a lot in not a lot of time or space, frankly. So talk to me, like, who's behind this, this features page? And did you model it after something or did you just come up with it? So it was definitely an iterative process. Um, I, I'll probably give all, the, give all the credit to Sam for that because in like explaining Postaga, best way to describe it is it's an all-in-one platform that combines the concept of several different tools that people often use for doing link building or cold outreach. So it helps you prospect to find relevant websites, bloggers, or podcasters to connect with. Then it finds their contact information, their emails, and verifies those email addresses, and then builds and sends personalized email sequences to them. And that's a lot to kind of convey, and but also not just conveying the feature aspect of it, but like the benefit of how does this save you time over your traditional process and the other tools that you are using. And so I feel like six months from now, if even a few months from now, our homepage and our website is going to look different from where it is today as we're kind of like honing in more on like what the the most popular use cases are and making sure that if you have no idea what, what we're doing, that in a few seconds you get it. Yeah, that, and that's the idea. That's the idea of it. And that's, you know, with SaaS, stuff does change so quickly as you add features that you you can actually become a different product. I think back in the days of Drip where first we were an email capture widget and that was really it. It was like we were autoresponders and then it's like we're a full-blown ESP. And then eight months later, we're a full marketing automation provider. And I mean, we literally, you know, they weren't pivots. It was just a progression as we added more functionality and and revisiting, I think, a lot of founders. I mean, I was I was pretty bad at this. Uh, in terms of revisiting, what is my positioning? What is what does my headline say? What does my feature page say? Am I really communicating this properly? So to give folks an idea of your stage or your size, some founders give MRR, some founders give team size. What can you share with us? Sure. So as of recently, we are six full-time team members, a few team members working on our our service offering, a few team members working on marketing, and including myself. And my co-founder, Sam, is focusing on product. Cool. So a team of six with a small amount of burn, I think, is is how I'd phrase it. You know, obviously you took funding from us at Tiny Seed. You're in the, the current batch, spring 2021. But let's let's roll back and talk about your beta. You start you start working on it in 2019 after you left the agency, and you went in what you called beta in January of 2020, right before COVID hit us, just about 18 months ago. And you started using your own software to reach out. Because part of Postaga is it'll scan through your own content, figure out who you're mentioned, and it'll, it'll but like you said, pull up their emails, validate them, and then you can use it to, to send these, these campaigns. Or it can look through what it's like, it'll look through RSS feeds, it'll look through all, all kinds of stuff. You can go to the site if you want to see it, but there's a bunch of ways to get people who are likely to link to you, and then it gets their information, and then it allows you to contact them through the tools, basically. 
So what we were doing was like when we were testing out to make sure it, you know, make sure it worked, but also to get us our earliest users is I was using it in a, a way that maybe that was not one of our original intentions, which was I was basically using it, uh, using one of the features of it, which is this very more broad search functionality to search for marketing agencies and people in digital marketing all around the world, finding their info and hitting them up with like a cold email, more of like sales pitch than anything else saying, hey, is your digital agency trying to build links to improve your rankings or do that for clients? I have a piece of software that could maybe help you out. We're in beta, and so we're happy to let you use it for free as you know, if you can give us some feedback. And that got us our earliest users. We got a lot of feedback on our onboarding process, which in the beginning, in hindsight, was uh, very cumbersome. But like that early feedback in, in term, like really helped us improve our product, help us figure out our direction, helped us like build our audience before we did our, our big launch on Product Hunt, which in uh, May of that year. I like it when a company can use its own product. You know what I mean? I remember when Drip got enough functionality that we were able to move off of MailChimp and start using it. And I, I still, I have respect and like MailChimp, but it was a super cool feeling to be like, we have everything we need now and it's our own product. And so I love the idea of not only that you were able to use it in your beta, but taking this idea, you know, a lot of, especially like developer types, they, they don't want to do cold outreach. They don't want to do any type of outreach. They just want the product. They want to build a great product and have it sell itself, which ju it just never happens, right? It's just a pipe dream. If you know anyone who that works for, please let me know. I have many questions, mainly just how, what is it that you're doing uh, that, that's setting you apart from every other founder I know that's like constantly trying, like, well, I built a product. I think it's great. The people who are using it, who know about it, think it's great. How do I find more people? And that's the, that's a big thing. And so what did you learn? So you you launched a product hunt in May, right? So between January and May, you're you're doing cold outreach. You have this product, no one's paying for it. So you're at zero revenue. Again, you had the agency, you still had payouts coming from that sale to keep you guys afloat. So what did you learn in that five months that that then was like, okay, now we're ready to launch? So we had a lot of assumptions going in that were tested from our earliest users, like what they were using it, using Postaga for, what its most popular features were. Also, just like the workflow and, and the onboarding process in particular, uh, I had, we had a, a bunch of our earliest users, their feedback was getting signed up is a, a whole thing, even though it's free. It was just, there are a lot of hurdles to it. Like we had to get users to connect their email addresses and their email, their email accounts via either SMTP or via setting up DNS records, and no one wants to set up DNS records to be able to use a product. So we had to really handhold people to get them set up so they can kind of see what the product could do. And so we changed our, our onboarding tour and on, on setups so that people could, you know, get a glimpse of what it could provide for the user to get them to move forward and sign up and activate their accounts, basically. But beyond that, we did a lot of interviews with our, our earliest users to find out like how they were using it, how their workflows before Postdoc compared with Postdoc, and we found like a lot of evangelists who loved us and would promote us to everyone that they knew. Uh, but there were some people who, some agencies, and we were hoping would switch from whatever their process was to Postdoc, even if they had like a more manual, time and labor intensive process. And we realized, okay, some of these 
agencies, even if though their processes are inefficient, if you're a larger agency, like for any enterprise company, there's a really good lesson, which is that there can be a lot of inertia. And with enterprise companies, you have to get a lot of people's buy-in to move it forward. And so that, that was a, a good lesson also in terms of helping us figure out our positioning. That's interesting. I mean, it sounds like amazing learnings, like especially around the onboarding and realizing if you had not done that and you had instead just launched on Product Hunter, done a bunch of marketing, like you would have just bled a bunch of people out, right? And it would have been wasted effort. How did you know to do that? It sounds like you went about it pretty methodically and pretty intelligently, but why did you and Sam decide to do that five-month beta and to really talk to and do interviews with that many customers? Because a lot of people who are launching a SaaS company, they, they don't do that. So well, actually, at first we were planning uh, this in hindsight, in talking to you now, it sounds a lot more methodical than it was. So the real story is that we were originally planning for a launch in January, but we encountered an issue where we realized if we did very well on Product Hunt, it would crash our entire platform, and that's no good. So uh, Sam was working on plugging that up and making sure that we would be able to able to scale the platform as as we would have more and more simultaneous users. And so while he was working on that, I was focusing on getting more and more feedback from the beta users so that we could, in, in the meantime, like figure out what else can we be improving upon before this launch. Because at this point, I'm like, all right, I know that our launch is uh, going to be a few months away. What is the best use of our time in, the, in my time in the meantime? And it turns out I think that was like the right call. Yeah, and it sounds like a really good partnership between the two of you to have a developer, technical co-founder, and then you, sounds like you're doing marketing and sales and, and everything else. Everything else, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's a, it's a great division of labor, right, if you, can, if you can swing it. Okay, so we flashed to May of 2020. You wound up being the number one product of the day and the number two product of that week. You got 1,279 upvotes. Listeners have to be wondering, how how did you pull that off? So this was very intentional in terms of our approach. We knew that Product Hunt was going to be the platform that we launched on. We were like, okay, I could, I could focus on content marketing and other marketing channels to hopefully steadily grow our user base and our audience. But if we want to have a, a real big kickoff to get us in front of as many people as possible in, a, in like a very short amount of time to help us get this momentum. So we studied Product Hunt. I looked at what were the apps that were the top ones of the day, top ones of the week. What was their approach and how did that differ from some of the other products? What did they do that helped them stand out? So like, for example, when you go to the Product Hunt homepage, you'll see a, a variety of different products and apps and things like that. They all have taglines. A lot of them have GIFs. Uh, and so like, we're like, all right, so we need maybe an eye-catching GIF, a good tagline hook, and on our actual interior page, really good salesy copy that we workshop and workshop and share with people and get feedback on, but also having like a video that's an that is an explainer that's less than a minute and images and like screenshots that are that are not screenshots, they're like annotated images so you can get a sense and really understand what it is that the product does very quickly. And so we also spoke with a bunch of 
people who uh, had successful product hunt launches. I just cold reached out to a bunch of people and asked for introductions when I knew someone who knew someone to get their feedback and learn about what it was that they think that they did right. And that gave us a lot of intel to figure out what we would need to do a successful launch. So things like making sure that you launch at 12.01 a.m. Pacific time when the new day on Product Hunt starts, really trying to drive to your audience and people that you know to upvote you as early on as possible because before things shake out and the, like the leaderboard for the day is established, it's free for all basically. And if you have one of the most upvotes or the most upvotes, you'll show up on the leaderboard when it all sorts out a few hours into the day. But by virtue of you being on one of the top ones of the day, you're going to be also more likely to get more upvotes because you're going to be one of the first things that people see. They're going to check you out and maybe they'll upvote you. And so it was an all hands on deck situation with uh, me and Sam to make sure that this launch would be as successful as it could be. I know I know some people who don't give it that much attention. They're like, all right, well, I'll, I'll launch in Product Hunt. I'll see how it goes. I don't care if it's not successful. But being that it was going to be one of our core marketing endeavors for, for helping us launch, we spent a lot of time investing into it. Yeah, and, and someone listening to this, you know, I want you to realize you obviously spent a ton of time. I, once again, I'd use the word methodical and pretty disciplined about it and not just expecting, oh, build a great product and it'll work. I'm going to go have all these conversations. I'm going to go study product on. I'm going to, you know, rally my, my friends and colleagues around it. And sometimes it'll work. And just as easily you could have done this and not had the amazing success, you know, that you did of being the number one and, and number two for the week. But the folks who I've seen make product hunt work like you did, they do the right things. They usually don't stumble into it. It's like that hard work, luck and skill thing. I always say it's like, yeah, there's some luck involved, but it sounds like you built some skill up by asking people and then you put in the hard work to do it, to do it well. Similarly, you know, Derek Reimer with Savvy Cal did a product hunt launch just about six or seven months ago now. And he did a lot of the same tactics you did and also had success with it. So I guess my question for you then is, was it worth it? Like what, you know, you did get all these upvotes. You obviously got a lot of eyes on your, on your product and you only had a free plan at the time. We should be specific. Like this was May. You didn't start charging till August. So you had a free plan. Was the product hunt launch from your perspective worth doing? Absolutely. So from that product hunt launch, it really helped us just build an audience right off the bat. People that were super interested in following our journey. Also giving us a bunch of feedback early on to like compound on the feedback that we already had and, and help us really figure out the direction of the product. We got a few people reach out about investing in Postdoga, which was cool. When we're in beta mode and just having a lot of one-to-one -one conversations with people who are not paying for our product but giving us feedback, we're at the stage where like, I hope this works. I hope that there's this, like, we think there's a market for it. We, we've done some research. We've done, done our market research and we think we have people who are going to be able to and interested in paying for it. But there's, as a startup founder early stage, there's always a little bit of doubt. Like, uh, I, I hope that I'm building something that people want to buy and are willing to pay for. And that feedback that we, that we got from Product Hunt was definitely a high point on the emotional roller coaster of uh, running a startup. And so that really helped us get a bunch of feedback, get us, give us a push that we needed and helped us move towards some features that we were, that we were looking for and also got us to 
take the next time investment for me and my co-founder to monetize it. You know, I tweeted something a few weeks ago that venture-funded companies fail or shut down when they run out of money, but bootstrap companies shut down when they run out of motivation. And managing your own motivation as a bootstrapped or mostly bootstrap founder is is a big thing. It's it's your psychology and it's it's keeping that interest and keeping the energy and just keeping the desire to move forward. And it sounds like Product Hunt was a big moment for you guys to keep going, which is interesting because so if I were going to do it, like if I could pick it, I would want to be able to charge by the time I did that. So what was around that decision? I mean, in hindsight, in hindsight, I absolutely wish we would have had our e-commerce functionality ready by then. It would have pushed our launch back further. It was from when we did our launch in, in mid-May to us having our paid tiers in mid-August, that was time that we that Sam uh, had spent developing and adding that functionality. So it took some time, and our thinking was, let's do this launch on Product Hunt, and let's make sure that th- that we are making the right call here, and that this is something that that we think can have some traction and can be worth our future time and effort and investment into. In hindsight, though, uh, like knowing everything that we know now, I really wish we would have had e-commerce set up because there was some, like we had this this big interest in May. We kept people, like everyone that signed up was on our email list and on our newsletter and in, in our marketing automation software. And so by the time we hit, every, hit people up to get them to upgrade to a paid plan in August, the numbers that we did were not as high as I was hoping they would be in full transparency probably because some of that that enthusiasm slowed down from in the months in between. And when you say e-commerce functionality, you mean billing. Billing, a paid tier. Yeah, being able to, yeah, having a paid tier that you can charge through Stripe, presumably. So it took you a couple months. I was going to ask that was by the time you got billing in place, did did you convert as many as you'd hoped? You know, or did you convert a lot of people? And it sounds like you did okay, but not great. Yeah, I think okay, but definitely was less than I was hoping for. Another part of that founder emotional roller coaster there. I'm curious, what do you think would have happened? Pure conjecture. You spent this time building it. You spent this time researching Product Hunt. You did all the quote unquote the right things. What if the Product Hunt launch had flopped? What do you think you would have done next? It would have probably been a tough conversation between me and my co-founder, like, I can't believe we invested all this time in this product and it's just not getting the traction that we're hoping. Either something fundamentally has to change with how we've we've built this and how we're marketing it, or maybe it's time to roll it up and pivot and focus on something else. That that would have, would have definitely been a, a tough conversation to have. And you had the free plan then and you still have a free plan today, correct? Yes. So folks know today you have a $99 pricing tier, you have an agency plan that's $2.99 a month, and then you have the done-for-you service with, you know, contact us. That's where you're actually doing the outreach for people. So what is the free plan doing for you these days that you keep it around? So the free plan exists partially as like a lead magnet so that people sign up, they have a free trial, and there is a free plan so they can test out Postaga more at their pace, be able to build some outreach campaigns, get some results, and 
hopefully see that it's worth it that, all right, we've got some responses now. We've gotten some good opportunities. We've got some either links or guest post opportunities or podcast guest spots, but I want to be able to do more of that. And so that's where upgrading to a paid plan comes in. And when people sign up, we have email automation sequences designed to get people to upgrade. Um, One thing that we are looking into and testing and A-B testing, is that the best option? I don't have the answer for you today. We're, We're testing out different things and seeing what works. And maybe in a future episode, I can give you a full rundown of these different variants that we've tried and how they've performed. There's a credit card trial best? Is a free trial with a freemium best? Or is no trial but like a money back guarantee best? We're going to be probably trying out all of these things. When I hear you talk about the free plan, you know, it, it makes a lot of sense with your tool because the kind of the rules, Ruben Gomez has his kind of rules of when to have a free plan and when not. And he said, number one, if your product is a relatively low cost to support each customer, there's not like an incremental cost of them sending emails or them doing whatever, low cost to support, easy onboarding, self-onboarding basically, and it's quick to get value from. You know, you think about some products, you sign up for Salesforce, you're not going to get value the first day. It's going to take you months to integrate and do this and all that. And then a viral component is a big, can be a big part of that, right? And does Postaga have a viral loop Yes, and you would know that because you have been on the receiving end. Of- That's right, I have. So uh, for everyone listening, uh, so in Postaga's free plan, there is a footer in your email signature that says PS sent with Postaga. And some people have pitched Rob uh, to be guests on this podcast using Postaga. That's true. That it was so cool to see it in the wild. Like once once you apply it and the name, you know, sinks in and we decided to find you, I started noticing that. It's pretty cool. Yeah. And so we've noticed that like some people sign up clicking that email signature. And so, all right, that's a win. That's another channel for us that helps spread the word more. And last month, you know, I won't go into specifics, but you had an amazing month of growth last month. What's working for you? Like what what caused that? I'm gonna Put that entirely on the Tiny Seed program. Oh wow! <laughs> that, this was not a plant, ladies and gentlemen, listening to the show. That's that's super cool. What specifically? I mean, Tiny Seed's been great so far. We've gotten we've been speaking with a ton of mentors over the last few months. People who are much more experienced than I am in different facets of running a business and scaling it. For example, having spoken with Einar and yourself to get feedback on pricing and churn, we've been able to make tweaks to things that have helped us grow faster. You know, there are there are a few levers, as, as you've told us, that help with growth, you know, uh, increasing pricing, reducing churn, and finding more customers. And we've been really honing in on each of these levers to optimize them and improve them as much as possible. Beyond that, yeah, I've been trying to speak to as many of the mentors in the Tiny Seed program as possible, getting feedback on everything from our copy to our UX to our onboarding flow. <laughs> one, one thing that some other people in, the, in our cohort have suggested, just speak with as many mentors as possible because you're going to get a ton of value out of it. And in the first month, I probably didn't speak with so many mentors, but in the last two months in particular, we're, I guess we're almost at the end of our third month here. I've just been trying to speak with as many mentors as possible because it's been so much value that we've gotten out of it. As anyone building their own startup and trying to grow it, you go through a lot of 
iterations and A-B testing and trying to figure out, well, what are the right channels for us? And to, to some extent, we're, we're doing that now. But we can get, we're getting a lot of great feedback from people who have done these experiments before, who have been through these things, who can give us just straight up feedback on telling us, don't do this. This is a bad idea. Here is what you should be focusing on. Here is the most important thing that you should be focusing on. And here's how to execute on that. That's been just so incredibly valuable. That's, that's awesome. I mean, A, thanks for saying that. That's how it's supposed to work, right? That's the point of having mentors. That's the point, A, for us. I mean, the reason we didn't just, because at one point, Anar and I said, hey, let's just raise a fund and invest in early stage startups. And we saw the value in having a batch that could interact with one another, have the community, and then have the mentor program and, and all the advice that we could give, right? And so if, if that's what it's doing for you, then it's working like we want it to, and that's great. But I think someone, you know, listening to this who maybe doesn't want to join an accelerator or, you know, whatever, they can still take the value away from being in a mastermind or being in a community like MicroConf Connect or in the Dynamite Circle or part of Indie Hackers, where there are other people around you who are going through that same journey and you can learn from them. So you don't, you're going to make a lot of mistakes anyways. You don't have to make every mistake on your own, right? You can, you can learn from other people's mistakes, which is uh, a much less less expensive way to do it, both monetarily and time-wise. Absolutely. Masterminds have been something that I've been involved with since maybe 2014 or so. And I like really saw the value of those because I, like you're saying, I could talk to other founders that are either similarly situated or hopefully further along than I am to just give advice and help us avoid some of the pitfalls so we can get further along faster. Yeah. And so having masterminds have been just super helpful. And it's an easy thing that you could do. Uh, I've had I've had masterminds through MicroConf, other programs also in years past I was doing. But there's been something really helpful about speaking with people who, in particular, are much further along than you, who can give you that advice of, well, here are the things that that I would do if I were in your situation. You've got a problem. You have a problem with hiring, or you have a problem with uh, employee retention, or with growth here are the things that I would do and here are my suggestions for you. And that's been just so incredibly helpful over the years, helping me like get unstuck without having to try out different things and see how they, they fix things. And that's something that I learned, you know, when I used to work a day job 15 years ago-ish, I didn't like a lot of my coworkers. No one was, I was trying to like push things forward and there were roadblocks and bureaucracy. And I remember just saying like, I don't want to work with people ever again. And I'm going to go be a solo founder and micropreneur, right? Was this term. I'm going to go be on my own and I'm going to do it all mine. And I did. And it was not as good as later on when I realized I actually want, I want people in a mastermind. I want colleagues. I want to work with other people. It's not that I don't like working with other people. It's I don't like working with other people that I can't handpick and choose who I get to work with, you know, who I get to be managed by or who I get to manage. And there's so much value in community. That was the other thing is like uh, trying to do it on your own. I'm belaboring the point at this point, but like there's a reason MicroConf exists and MicroConf Connect exists and this podcast exists and Tiny Seed exists. There's reasons for all of them and it's because they it's because they bring people together in one way or shape or form that just ups our, all of our games is how I view it, right? It raises, it's a rising tide that raises all of the boats involved. And to me, that's just a win all around. So as as we start to wrap up, I, I do have one more question for you. You are in a unique position because you've 
you've built a SaaS app, hundred bucks, 300 bucks a month. Like it's a, it's a great business, right? And it's growing. And that's the do it yourself side. It's that people can sign up and, and do the link outreach and, and make that all work. You also have a done for you service. And I can imagine someone listening thinking, A, they might want to do that as well, because it obviously has a much, much higher price point, you know, and you can grow MRR quicker. Or someone might be thinking, wow, I really don't want to do that. Like, I don't want that service side of the business. So as someone who has not only run an agency with your recurring revenue, now runs a SaaS app with recurring revenue and also a, a service, productized service essentially attached to it. Talk to me about why you, the two of you have decided to have the done for you side and maybe the pros and cons of that. So I guess it's kind of funny in a sort of fatalistic way that I sell an agency and then build a SaaS app because it's going to be completely self-service and people can sign up and we just increase our MRR by not, not speaking with people necessarily to adding a service component that is very handholdy, where there is a bigger labor component to it that we're providing. And the reason that we offered it was because we were getting interest in it from our users. Some of our users were saying to us, I very much like the idea of Postaga, but I'm a solo founder of this business. And even with all the time saving that I'm getting from Postaga, I just I don't have the time for it. Do you know anyone, a consultant or someone who could basically use Postaga for us to help us get more opportunities and links for our business? Besides that, we are having churn. And one of our responses that we are getting in one of our cancellation questionnaire sort of things was, I just don't have the time to get into Postaga. And so we realized, all right, if this is one of the one thing that's contributing to our churn, what can we do to save that? And we were contemplating whether to outsource completely to just refer people to people that we knew that do link building and that or that either have an agency that were using Postaga that we could refer to or bringing it in-house. And I don't know what the future holds if we're going to be doing this done for you forever, but there were a few things that we saw as a benefit to it. One, we would get hands-on experience with doing outreach for a variety of business types with a variety of, of founders and doing a variety of outreach campaigns for other businesses to see, well, what's working well for them? What kind of responses are we getting? Because mostly we've been doing outreach on behalf of Postaga. I, I've been doing outreach to help us build our own links, to get me guest spots on podcasts and help us do press outreach. But being able to do it for other clients would give us a bunch of insights to help us also improve the product further by having that kind of variety of, of experience there. And so we thought, all right, well, there's a plus there. If we add this service component, obviously we're going to also get more revenue and that's a win there. And having the service component also would help us internally get more feedback and see what, we, see what improvements can be made to the product and what we could do to help other people using the do-it-yourself option as well. So there were just a lot of upsides that we saw to it. We ran a pilot program so that I could build out the processes. We started with one company who wanted to get more press coverage and visibility in their industry, in their space. So we did outreach for them to get them podcast guest spots and get other blogs to review their product. And we 
did like the campaigns that we did ended up doing very well. It was something that I had no familiarity with that kind of product or space beforehand. But from that pilot program, I built out SOPs and documentation so it could be a repeatable process that I could do with clients moving forward. And then we built up uh, an additional page on our website for the done for you service. And to date, we really haven't been advertising it heavily. That might change in the future. But people have been reaching out to us about it through that page, but also just reaching out to us just on their own to say, hey, uh, I like the product, but do you have anyone that you could recommend that I could either bring on or can help me do that? And so it was a great addition to our product. So as we wrap up, sir, folks want to keep up with you. You are Andy Cabasso on Twitter. That's A-N-D-Y-C-A-B-A-S-S-O. And of course, postdaga.com is what you're working on. Thanks again for joining me. Thanks, Rob. It's been fun. And thank you for joining me once again this week. I'll be back on your earbuds again next Tuesday morning.